I'm ready to get in the Word with you. If you would open your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be looking there. Before we do, we're going to talk a little bit. But before we get started um, any further in our time in the Word, let me just pray for all of us. And at the end, if you're in agreement, we uh, say the word amen, which is a word that means I agree. So let me pray for us now as we begin our time in the Word. Father, you, Lord, we are so quick to usher ourselves into your presence pray this morning as we look into your word that you would work inside of us to change us according to your will, to shape us to look more like your son Jesus, in whose image we have been created. Father, I pray also that you would give me, Lord, a heart that reflects you and your glorious gift of Jesus to us. Lord, overwhelm us with the good news about Jesus today. Let us see how much you love us and let us reflect that love back to you in our worship. And Lord, let us see one another as people who are in need of salvation and when we confess your son are blessed with having the gift of salvation because of what Jesus did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. Lord, I pray that you'd work in us to make us different so that we would honor you and glorify you. Lord, let us not hide our sin or try to from you or even from one another that we would be confessional before you and before our friends and our faith family that we might walk in the reality of who we are and in our need, in our great need for the salvation that comes only in Jesus. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a series called What Would Jesus Undo? And so we're talking about some difficult things because I think if Jesus showed up here personally in a form that we would see him as a normal person like us because that's who he is. He's also God, but he's also fully human. If he showed up and hung out with us for just a little while as an individual or as a family or at your workplace with you or together in the context of our faith family worship gatherings, I think there's a lot of things that he would change, and we're only talking about a few of those in this series, and today I think is one that is very difficult for us to see. This week and next week, we're going to be seeing things in Scripture that are going to be hard to swallow. At first, we're going to say, that's not me. At some level, yeah, yeah, that's me, but not at the deeper levels that we need to get to, and so I'm going to say a few hard things today. I want you to be prepared for that, but know that I do that after I have had to swallow them myself. And I do so because I want to love and care for you as your pastor. So if you're not normally with us, today is going to be a day that might be a little difficult for our people even more than for you. But I encourage you to follow along with us in Romans chapter 2 as we get there. Uh, But let me just set up where we're going today. I'm not sure if you are aware of this. Most of you probably are. The number one complaint by non-Christians about Christians... And the reason why they say they don't want to go anywhere at a church or to gather with those Christians is because they say we are, does anybody know? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. And in large part, I think they're not wrong. But the truth of the matter is, is that all of us are hypocrites, Christian or not, in some way or another. 
And so that's why it's always good for us to admit that fact that a lot of us in the church are hypocrites and there's always room for one more, right? Because this is a place for healing. This is a place for change, life change, for salvation, not for those who are not in need of that, but for those who are greatly in need of that salvation and that change and that healing. And so today we're going to talk about our hypocrisy. And we're going to look at the Word and let God speak to us about our hypocrisy. And it might be difficult to see, but let me just put it out, <clears throat> put it out there for us a little bit. Because of my experiences, I can throw a few things out that I think that you could probably understand or agree with or say you've had these similar experiences. Um, some of the most hateful people I've encountered have called themselves Christians. Think about your life and how many people you know that have acted out in ways that seem to be pretty hateful. Or some of the most deceitful people I've known have professed faith in Jesus. Some of the greatest leaders in our church, nationally and locally in Etowah County, have fallen due to gross, hidden sin that was going on for a long time, even though they preached a different message. In fact, I think it's almost been the way that church planting has happened in Etowah County for the last hundred years, because churches split over it and churches divide over it. Right now, even... The non-Christian view of Southern Baptists is being even more solidified by the media concerning sexual misconduct and cover-up because of articles like those that come out of the Houston Chronicle, which are not wrong in many aspects. Many churches have overlooked sin. Many Christians abide in sin instead of abiding in Christ. And we even lie to ourselves to make it palatable. We will say that we are a Christian. We'll say, yes, I'm a sinner. We will heartily agree as those who are, are in churches like this, an evangelical church. We will heartily agree that, yes, I am a sinner. But then we, in our hearts, will kind of subdivide out some of our actions, some of our thoughts, some of our desires, and act as though they're not there. And yet we will kid ourselves and run right back into them the moment they hit us in the right place. I think many of us walk as hypocrites. All of us do in some aspects, right? Because the meaning for what it means to be a hypocrite is multi-layered. And I think the church, especially in the West, is rampant with hypocrisy. I even believe that we as individuals, both Christian and non-Christians, categorically, are more, critical, more hypocritical than we have ever been sociologically. But that may sound crazy, right? Because we've been sinning since the beginning. But let me just give you this. I think our society actually encourages hypocrisy in a much greater way than it ever has before because of the things that are at our fingertips. You don't believe me? Just open your phones, scroll through your Facebook feed, your Instagram, your Twitter, and see what people post and how people's lives look on those social media platforms. Then take a moment to scroll through your own posts and see if what you post is actually representative of your real life. We know it's not. That's why we take our phones and we do pictures like this. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Most of you do. Take some of this out when you look up. 
We want to show our best side. That's why we don't like people taking pictures when we're not ready. Come on, amen? We don't like people posting stuff that we haven't seen. We don't want people to see us in how we really are. That's why when we look in the mirror, we don't do like this and look in the mirror most of the time. We look straight at the mirror. And we are surrounded by hypocrites, and we, the church, are seemingly no better than the rest of the world. Although we are called to be more authentic and at the same time holy as God is holy. It's a real problem. And I think it's one of the main reasons why people will not listen to us when we go to them and ask them to come to church with us. When we go to them and want to talk to them about the gospel, oftentimes we have no way to get over the fact that they say that we are a hypocrite because we have acted in such ways that we have been hypocrites or somebody we know. And the hardest people to talk to about it are our family members that need Jesus. Let's talk about the definition of hypocrisy for just a minute. I'm going to give you other people's definitions, and I'll give you mine, which I think is a little bit more kid-friendly. Kevin DeYoung, he says this, Hypocrisy is not the gap between doing and feeling. It's the gap between public persona and private character. You hear that? Between public persona and private character. He says, Hypocrisy is the failure to practice what you preach appearing outwardly righteous to others while actually being full of uncleanness and self-indulgence. That's the definition of hypocrisy. Nathaniel Hawthorne from the Scarlet Letter, remember him? He says, No man for any considerable period can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which may be the true. You see, I don't think we actually recognize our hypocrisy. Part of it's because our brains subdivide that out, and we just see it as a sinful moment instead of living in a line or abiding in our sin. And part of it is because we put a face on out here, and we have a different face on the inside, and the more we put it on and put it off, put it on and put it off, we can't really tell which one's the real one. And so we confuse ourselves. <clears throat> but let me tell you something. And this is something you can write down. This is not the totality of where we're going today, but it is the premise under which all these things will lie. And I'm going to use strong language for this because I think it is there. God hates our hypocrisy. He hates it. I'm going to say it again to make sure we get that. God hates our hypocrisy. He loathes it. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. He's talking about hypocrites there in that passage. They profess to know God, but deny him. Whoever denies the Father and the Son will not be recognized by the Father and the Son in the end. Remember that from Jesus talking about it? And he says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Let me give you my kid definition. This is how I have to think. Hypocrites say one thing and do another. They say one thing that they're going to do, and they do another. They say one thing they believe, and they do another. Their actions stand in contradiction to their stated beliefs. 
Spurgeon. Always kicks me in the face when I read him. He says, hypocrites love titles and honors and respect from men. The Pharisees were never so happy as when they were called rabbi. He never felt himself so greatly great as when he was struck up in the highest seat in the synagogue. But the true Christian cares for no titles. I think that's a very true statement. Here's another idea about hypocrites. Hypocrites start their day in the Word of God. Do you hear that? Hypocrites start their day in the Word of God and pray with their families around the dinner table, but then act differently when no one is watching or whenever it fits their need to prevail in any given situation. You know, business is business, right? Yeah, 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 I know what I, those things, but God understands here in this situation, I, I got to be like this. And hypocrites are generally more severe with others than they are with themselves. They are way more lenient with themselves than they are with others. That's why Jesus says things like, first get the log out of your own eye before you try to get the speck out of your brother's eye, because he recognizes our quickness to hypocrisy. We will quickly blaze somebody else before we recognize the sin in ourselves. Let me give you a few little things that we do that are hypocrisy. I know we're in a kid-friendly environment, so this first one I'm going to tweak a little bit for us, but you'll get the picture. We come to church and we get in our phones or we're in our car and we have a moment before we leave or we're waiting on someone or we're in the morning and we like to do it on the phone instead of in our book and we'll read our Bible on our phones and then we'll look at scantily clad people on our phones later. Or we'll search for things that pull up the three X's on our phone that we just read the scriptures on earlier that day. We'll tell our spouses we love them. And then while we're at work, we have some innocent flirting going on every once in a while with that one person that's just a good friend. We are a top-notch person at church. People respect us. They might even try to elect us to be a deacon or a servant. They might want to make us into a teacher or think we should be in charge of something because we're so holy, but we are a way different person in our jobs when we go out with our girls at night or when we hang out with the guys behind closed doors or out on the back porch. And we show like we've got the perfect marriage. Everything is A-OK, but really we are in need of great help. Or we act so Christian, but we've got this secret addiction inside that we hope no one ever sees, and we always worry that somebody's going to find out. You may say, I'm not a hypocrite, though. I'm not a hypocrite. I mean, I, I do some things I shouldn't do. Yeah, at some level, I'm a hypocrite, but I'm not really a hypocrite like you're talking about. Like, it's big things. Let's look at Romans 2. Romans 2, starting in verse 17. <clears throat> we can start earlier, like in Romans 2, verse 1, where he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. He goes all through that, talks about God's judgment. In fact, all of Romans 1, 2, and 3 is basically boxing everybody in to say, You're a sinner way worse than you thought. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's where it ends up in Romans 3, right? 
There's no one who is righteous. No, not one. But here we pick up in verse 17, Romans 2, in the middle of the argument. He says, but if you call yourself a Jew, hang on, I'm not calling myself a Jew. Is that what you're saying? He's not being derogatory because later on we see Paul say, man, I love my brethren. If I would, I would be accursed on their behalf. I would go to hell for them if they would be saved. That's a huge statement of love. So he's not saying in a derogatory fashion. He's saying, but if you call yourself a Jew, he means those who have been called according to God to be his mouthpiece, to be his vehicle for the salvation that would come to the world through Jesus, to call out this, to be a blessing to all the nations. If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law, that's good, right? Rely on the law, rely on the Bible, rely on what he says is right and wrong. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, that's good, isn't it? Do you do those things? Not just read the law, do you rely on the law? He's talking to people that are very much relying on the law. They know it, they rely, they boast in God. They're not boasting in self, they boast in God. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, or if you call yourself a Christian, you could say, and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will, that's pretty big, right? You're saying you know his will, you know, because the scriptures tell us his will for so many things of our lives. And you know his will and approve what is excellent. That's right out of scripture to do those things, to look for those things that are good, do those things that are excellent. Because you are instructed from the law. Again, you're doing what the Bible says. You're doing what you've been told. You're doing these things. And if you are sure, verse 19, if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, we're supposed to be that. We're supposed to help those that cannot see. I once was blind, but now I see. Now let me help others who cannot see, right? And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, you may say, whoa, they're crossing the line. Jesus is the light. Yes, but the light is within you. We are to be salt and light, Jesus says, right? If you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, all those things are to say, yes, you're a follower. Yes, you are religious. Yes, you are zealous for the good things. These are not bad. Verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, who hate idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You hear that last part? For as it is written, the name of God, this is from Old Testament, he's acquiring it now, saying it's true then and it's still true today, that the name of God is blasphemed among all the non-Christians, we could say, because of the Christians he's talking to. It's basically what we could say here. Let's break this down a little bit more. Verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Something's amiss, right? He said, you do all this outward stuff, you do all this inward stuff. You're instructed by the law, you rely on the law, you're doing all these really good things. You approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law. And you're sure that you're, you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those in the darkness. You're You're those things. You're supposed to be those things. A 
teacher of children. Of course, we're trying to do those things. This could be us, right? Are you going to Sunday school today? This could be you. Are you you teaching your children even though they might be 30 now? Are you trying to lead them to Jesus? This, This could be you. Are you trying to rely on the word? Yes, we're not perfect, but we're trying to... Yes, this could be all of us in this room, right? And he says in verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Wait a minute, why why would you, of course I'm trying to teach myself. While you preach against stealing, do you steal? No, I I, I don't steal, Do do you steal? I mean, I have stolen in the past before Jesus, but I don't steal now. It's kind of confusing. You say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? No. Right, that's her answer, no, I don't. And I know Jesus talks about if you commit adultery in your heart by, by lusting after someone that you've committed adultery. Uh, I get that. But no, I'd really try not to do those things. I'd really fight for holiness. You could say these things would be true. You'd be confused, just like the people he's writing to in Rome. You who abhor idols, who hate idols, do you rob temples? There were people back then who would, who would rob temples, okay, and they would do that. Even as Jewish folks, they would rob other temples, and they would sell the goods, and so you could think, well, no, I've never done that. I've never gone into, like, some other faith's place and taken their stuff. I've not done that. Why would I ever do that? I'm a Christian. I don't do those things. You who boast in the law, he says, dishonor God by breaking the law. This is, this is pretty confusing to me. Anybody else confused a little bit? Come on, be honest. Don't be a hypocrite. I'm the only one confused. Okay, it's going to get confusing. Here we go. He says, For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. I don't steal. I don't commit adultery. I don't rob temples. How do I break the law? Well, let's look at this in the context of later on in Romans. Romans chapter 9. Hold your finger here. Flip over to Romans chapter 9. Just a few pages over. Starting in verse 30. This is going to help us interpret this more effectively and rightly. Okay, here we go. Romans 9, starting in verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. Key word. Say that again. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel... Jews, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law? You see, he's arguing the point here. You're saying saying that those who are not of the faith are going to make righteousness level because of faith, but you're saying those who were given the law are not achieving that righteousness level? Why? Verse 32. Here's the answer. Because they did not pursue it by faith. Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works. Look at that again. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. They did not pursue righteousness by faith. But as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling 
and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Back up there. We're going to camp out for just a moment on verse 32. Because they did not pursue it by faith. In other words, the religious folks, the Jewish people whom God came to, they did not attain the righteousness they were seeking, even though they were the Pharisees of the Pharisees, right? The ones we see in Scripture. Even though they were doing all the right things, outwardly, inwardly, they were trying to rely on the law. They were trying to to rely on and boast in God. They were trying to know His will and approve what is excellent. They were instructed from the law. They were sure that they were a guide to the blind, a light to those in the darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. They had all those things, and he says, they didn't pursue it by faith, so they missed it. Instead, they pursued it as if it were based on works. See, the law is intended to lead us to recognize our need for God to right our wrongs. Not for us to right our wrongs, but to God to do that. It shows us how sinful we really are. It shows us our great need. This depth of sin cannot be overcome through our moralism or our outward adherence to the law or any set of rules. And if you and I slipperily slide into this mode of I am reading my scripture, I am praying over my family, I am going to church, I cannot miss those things because, man, I, I've got to be this person. I'm going to be this good person. I'm going to do the right things. I'm going to do it. And, man, when I do it, it feels good, and I can, wow, I did it. And we don't say that out loud to others, but it's like, man, I'm doing pretty good. I've done pretty well. Yes, by the Lord's grace, I've done it. But By His grace, yes, but I, I'm living in that place. And I'm able to kind of attain it. Matthew 23, 23 and on, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, look, you you don't attain righteousness by doing the works that God has set forth for us to do. We, we, We can live in a way of obedience, but we will never be righteous in our own right. We will never attain it by our moral adherence. We will never be able to make the leap or take the steps to get there. There's nothing within us that is good enough to do that. And there's nothing we can do to clean out the inside because as you know and as you have tried, sin keeps emanating out of us because it is our nature. We are sinful. We sin because we are sinful. It's not the other way around. Do you understand? We are born with a sin nature. Therefore, we cannot get out of it. It's like saying you can get out of being human. It's not possible. It is part of who you are. And the only way that can change is by something external, someone external reaching into you and changing you from the inside out. And if even when that happens, we can still try then to whitewash the tombs, 
We can still try to clean the outside of the cup. And we can still try to do all those things and end up relying on ourselves instead of relying on God by faith. Now, let me say this right. You are supposed to try to be holy because God is holy. And by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you can see progress in that. But not only do we depend on God for our salvation when we come to faith, we depend on God for the process we call sanctification, which means being cleaned more and more and more from the inside out by God working in us and empowering us to make decisions and choices that would lead us to be holy because He is holy. It all is initiated and prolonged and made possible and empowered by God living within us, his Holy Spirit, not because we muster up enough after he gives us some leverage. It's continually because of what he does. And the difference between a hypocrite and between those who are living the way the scriptures say we should be is because you either depend on faith or you end up sliding into that easy default mode, which is depending on self. Brothers and sisters, we must fight to lean into and rely upon God in faith. Not because we can earn it or get there, but because it is a continual struggle. Because our inward man and woman wants to fight against us. Our sinful self wants to fight against us. We do not want to do those things. We want to be the one that does it. Subconsciously, we think we can do it. We think we are able to do those things, but we are not. It's all there by faith. The law is there to show us we need him. God hates our hypocrisy, and it is through faith that we are forgiven. And that faith is a free gift from God. Thomas Watson, one of the Puritans, he says like this, it's great. A gracious soul labors to make the worst of his sins. Do you hear that? Say it again. A gracious soul labors to make the worst of his sins, but hypocrites make the best of them. They do not deny they are sinners, but they do what they can to lessen their sins. Sometimes with the Puritans, we need an interpreter. So I'm going to bring one in, Trevin Wax. You might know him, works with Lifeway, helps write a lot of the curriculum we use in our own church. He says, we like to imagine the hypocrite as self-righteous snobs who deny their sinfulness and boast in their perceived perfection. But Watson paints a picture that hits closer to home. Hypocrites don't claim to be perfect. They just think their sins aren't that bad. Does that hit anybody else? Hypocrites don't deny their sin. They just minimize it. But as Watson says, a gracious soul labors to make the worst of his sins. If you and I spent an hour for every sin trying to see how bad it really was, we would still not even get close to the depth of the transgression against a holy, perfect, righteous creator God who made us and who sent his son to die for us. No matter how much we tried to understand how horrible our sins are, we would never get the picture in its fullness because we cannot fathom the infinite, glorious righteousness and perfection of God which means we cannot really understand even the depth of our sin. So to lessen that in any way and not to make it worse, to make the worst of our sins, as Watson would say, 
is grievous in our walk. What that means is you shouldn't sit there and just be in a horrible place because of your sin and think, oh, I'm such a horrible person, I can't move, I'm just going to stay here, I'm going to die. It can't be that way. It must be, look how messed up I am. Lord, help me. I have faith, but give me more. Like the man who came to Jesus and he said, just believe. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, help me now. Forgive me and my sins. Show me what I've done before you. Help me. God knows everything we do, everything we think, everything we desire, and yet he loves us anyway, even though it sent his son to the cross. Hebrews 4.13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Luke 12, 1-2, Jesus says, In the meantime, it says, When so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Have you thought for a moment about your sin in the midst of it, of what it will look like when it is proclaimed to all those around the throne of judgment? Have you thought about what it will be like before the one who gave his life that you watch his face as he sees the things you have done and are doing in the moment? Have you thought about the impact of that on our witness in this community? Not to beat you down, but to say, let us stop, brothers and sisters. Let us run to the Lord and depend on him in faith. Let us be holy, not because we can, but because he will enable. Not because we are able, but because he has overcome already in Christ. God knows everything we do, everything we think, everything we desire. It's time we stop trying to act like we have it all together. It's time to stop acting as though, yeah, God saved me, but now I've got this Christian walk down. I'm doing pretty good. No, we are not. You don't steal. Every time we act as though we have it together and we've got things figured out, you know, I'm good. We steal from God's glory and place it on ourselves. Every time we make it through the day without giving God the credit for everything good that you have done or I have done, we've robbed him of his glory. We've stolen. We don't commit adultery even when we lust after another person in our hearts by double-taking them as they walk by, by wondering what it would be like to be married to them, by yearning for anyone other than our spouse. Or you don't commit adultery toward God? How about every time our heart longs for other things that we give glory to above him? How about every time we settle for lesser things to set our heart upon, to find our rest in, to, give our, to get our satisfaction from? We exchange love for the creator for the love of his creation. That's the definition of adultery toward God, to cheat on him. We don't rob temples. Do you take from the world its wisdom and mingle it in with your Christianity, even though it's at odds? Do you find yourself value in what self-help books or tweets say? Above and over finding your identity in the one who gave everything to have you as his? Do you take what you want in Scripture and deny the rest? Of course you don't, right? Of course we don't do that but you do decide to not abide by whatever doesn't suit your appetite at the time, don't we? 
that is robbing temples and mixing your faith so that it becomes anything other than true faith in the true God. That's robbing from things out here and bringing it into our worship. God hates our hypocrisy. But God is gracious. God is good and gracious and merciful toward those who are humbled by the law. Even more so, God is gracious toward those who look to him for salvation and even our sanctification, our growth through the all-satisfying and all-glorious sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Jesus, who is the only one who could and did live perfectly, who did fulfill all things, who was never a hypocrite, who always lived out what was laid before him, even to the point of death on the cross to honor the Father's desires to save us, even though we're the ones that put him there. That he would die in our place, taking our sin upon himself, that we might be brought into the family of God. God is gracious toward us by giving us Jesus. And that confession of our need for him is what is good for the soul. It's the path to righteousness. Not our righteousness, but to our being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Proverbs 28, 13. I'm almost done. Listen here. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Listen, brothers and sisters. God hates our hypocrisy, but he brings hope to the humbled in Jesus. Do you hear that good news? He hates our hypocrisy, but he brings hope to those who are humbled under the weight of their sin and under the weight of the law because he brings the one who fulfilled the law for us and his name is Jesus. And he didn't just fulfill the law for us, but he took our sin upon himself and died in our place so that he could bring us into his family because he loves us and his name is Jesus. And he is our savior and he is the one worthy of worship and he is the one who is righteous. We are none of those things, but he is. And today we can turn our hypocrisy over and tomorrow when it comes encroaching upon us as we slide into our default modes, we can repent and turn our hypocrisy over to him and say, Lord, I want it not. I need you, but I cannot overcome. But you've already overcome in Jesus and you can make that real to me by overcoming right now by your Holy Spirit in me. Because you love me. So our prayer today as we get ready to take of the Lord's Supper is to repent. Our prayer today is to confess. But even in that, we need help. And so today I'm going to ask that we put the scripture on the screen, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. If we can put them both verses on the screen at the same time, 23 through 24. That this would be our prayer as we begin to take the Lord's Supper together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You may say, what is that way? How do I get? Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He is the way everlasting. If if it leads you to Jesus, that is the way you go. Let us pray and ask the Lord. Because look, 
It could be overwhelming to the point of depressing to leave you where you are if you get hung up in the fact that we walk in our hypocrisy daily. But if you start confessing to the Lord and confessing to others that we are not perfect, that we are not able, and you start confessing, but Jesus is, and he has been, and he did for you and for me, that changes everything. Yes, hypocrisy is not what you wish you were and you're not and the difference between. Hypocrisy is that you act like you have and yet you have not. Hypocrisy is that you act like you can and yet you can not. Or like you've accomplished and yet it was God who did the work in you and through you. So it is not that we are sinners. That is a given. We are sinners. And I will proclaim it from the rooftop if it means that God will get the glory. And that is where we need to change life. We need to be saying, I am not the way. He is the way. I have failed you. Yes, I have messed up. Yes, I have done wrong to you. Please forgive me. Our Lord has forgiven me because his son died for that sin on the cross. And you too can be forgiven for whatever it is that you've done. So don't look at me as your savior or the one who is perfect because I am not. I'm in need of a savior and his name is Jesus. And oh Lord, show me where I need to turn back to you today. Show me that I might turn to you and give you glory and find my hope in you. And I encourage you to pray this prayer and that you would ask him to reveal to you where you need to repent. If you're not a believer, I encourage you to put your hope and faith and trust today. And now you can partake with us. You can be a part of this faith family, a part of the family of God, and you can have your hope in Christ that will never dissipate. For he is all we have, and he's everything we need. What would Jesus' son do? He'd undo our depending on self and acting like we have it together when really... We need him every moment, the same as the first time we met him. Let us reach toward him now. Father, I thank you for your grace and your kindness. I thank you that you would punch me in the gut, Lord. Break my heart. I pray that you would do that with others today. You would work in us all, Lord, because we want to know you and love you rightly. We need you to do that. We need you to lead us and guide us and work in us. And we need you to to defeat the sin within us as we fight with you, even though we know you're the one that empowers us. We need you to lead us so that we won't be the hypocrites that are the barrier to those coming to faith, but we will be the, the sinners who've been saved by the Savior, Jesus, your Son. And that we're the ones who call upon his name and show that we cannot, but he has. Lord, right now, reveal to us where we need to repent, that we might be cleansed of our sin because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus, your son, and that you might get all the glory. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.